0: Hello and greetings from Asheville, North Carolina. In case my voice is unfamiliar to you, I'm Dr. Han Lai, the founder and current spiritual director of Urban Dharma. Thanks to the wonders of technology, we have been able to share a good number of the programs we have offered the last six years in Asheville, and occasionally programs I have done elsewhere with this podcast. I hope you have found these programs educational, informative, and helpful to your own spiritual journey. I want to also take this opportunity to make a personal appeal to you to help us to continue to do what we have been doing here. Urban Dharma, North Carolina is entirely 100% volunteer-based. We do not have any employees, and I am neither on the payroll of Urban Dharma nor do I accept any offerings from the community. Our operating costs are as slim as it can be, but nonetheless, we still need your support and help. So, would you consider either a one-time donation, or better yet, become one of our sustaining members who give on a regular basis, so that we can continue to give the gift of Dharma to any and all who need it? If you are ready to help today, please drop us a line at benefactors at udharmanc.com. Again, benefactors at udharmanc.com. Or visit our giving page on our website, www.udharmanc.com. Again, www.udharmanc.com. But if you're not in a position to make a donation today, you can still help us by simply telling someone else about this podcast. Help us reach more people so that we can share the Dharma even more widely than we are currently doing. And finally, thank you, and please enjoy the following teaching brought to you by Urban Dharma, North Carolina.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. This is part six of a series about karma, the Buddha's compassionate explanation of reality that our thoughts and actions determine our future. Dorje Lopan, Dr. Han Lai, will help us unpack this important concept and show how the Buddha's teachings on karma can help us live good and happy lives for ourselves and others, despite a feeling of living in difficult times. Uh,
0: So the handout uh, today... So often, right... Uh, so we talk about like uh, the Buddha uh, or Siddhartha became enlightened or awakened. Um, So we talk about that. Um, And Buddha means to be awake. Um, But rarely do we really Learn about what it means that he was awakened. Or in what way, what was the content of Siddhartha's awakening? And to complicate matters, the early translators. Translators that used English chose this loaded word enlighten. And maybe at that point when they were doing that, it was helping Buddhism to be accepted and kind of aligned with right this other intellectual. You know, uh, awakening or whatever, called the Enlightenment in Europe, it has also really complicated uh, this understanding of what makes a Buddha a Buddha. And maybe because of that, we all have our own imagination of what Buddha means. Right and uh, awake, you know, and, and, and often I think certain things about the Euro- European Enlightenment, like certain commitments, uh, certain intellectual commitments there, have been projected onto the Buddha. And then we think, oh, you know, it must be the same. So, it's useful It should be instructive for us to again go back to some of the earliest recorded writings that we have that actually goes into what the content of this awakening was about. And then when we look at that, we will see how the issue of karma and the issue of rebirth and the issue of mm, like, the more profound things like the Four Noble Truths, emptiness, selflessness, that these three uh, are tied together. So if you look at uh, this section that is uh, Siddhartha's Awakening, So it is said that, uh, so the Buddha uh, discussed uh, later in his life, he was asked, you know, What happened underneath uh, that Bodhi tree? What happened there? Well, could you tell us, you know, what were the insights that you gained? Uh, what did you awaken to? And he says uh, that basically, there were three successive kind of uh, insights, awakening, uh, that completely changed him uh, as a result of directly perceiving these three specific knowledges uh, that he gained. Uh, in that night. That then the next morning, he said, the first thing he saw was the, um, the star. Mm-hmm. the morning star, and then he was Buddha. And so here, let's look at this. It says, uh, When the mind was thus concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of defilement, pliant, malleable, steady, and attained to imperturbability, perturbability. So these are all Required. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we ask uh, in meditation, um, what are we aiming for in Buddhist meditation? These are the qualities. To make your mind concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of defilement, pliant, malleable, It's interesting, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't move uh, in perturbability, but it's steady, but then it's pliant and malleable. Uh, So when the mind has become that, then what happens? What did he do? He said, I directed it, the mind, to the knowledge of recollecting my past lives. I recollected my manifold past lives, one birth, two, five, ten, fifty, a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand. Many eons of cosmic contraction, many eons of cosmic expansion, many eons of cosmic contraction and expansion. Here he's talking about how the universe yeah, contracted and expanded. And this is kind of the Buddhist view of how yeah, the world cycles through periods of contraction and uh, expansion Mm -hmm. and when he recollected eh, when he looked into all these past lives there I had such a name belonged to such a clan had such an appearance such was my food Mm -hmm. such was my experience of pleasure and pain such the end of my life passing away from that state I reappeared there there too I had such a name belonged to such a clan as such an appearance, such was my food, such was my experience of pleasure and pain, such the end of my life. Passing from that state, I reappeared here. So he saw all his past lives, according to him. Thus I remembered my manifold past lives in their modes and details. This was the first knowledge I attained in the first watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed, knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed, light arose, as happens in one who is heedful, ardent, and resolute. So in the first watch of the night, he gained direct knowledge, it is said, into all his past lifetimes. More importantly, the details of those lifetimes. Uh, He could see clearly. He could see clearly his karma, in other words. that such was the kind of pleasure he experienced in that lifetime, such was the kind of pain that he experienced in that lifetime, and so on and so forth. So back to your question, Trent. Uh, no, there is no Buddhist therapy based on past life regressions, uh, but there are claims that you know someone like the Buddha and some of his you know, uh, more famous disciples had the ability to see clearly and so, it's, so this is a matter of faith, sure. And it is based on this that we say, therefore, the Buddha had enough information about how this works. And then he spoke to us according to each of our ability to absorb this information. That, that he did see reality as it is. And part of what he saw was all his previous lifetimes. Now, of course, by extension it means other people, too, have all these lifetimes. But here, one could say that the first knowledge that he's gained was the knowledge on karma. The workings of karma. The workings of karma insofar as his own person is concerned. The next thing, when the mind was thus concentrated, the same list here, then now I directed it to the knowledge of the passing away and the reappearance of beings. I saw by means of the divine eye, which is basically saying clairvoyance, purified and surpassing the human, beings passing away and reappearing. And I discern how they are inferior and superior, beautiful and ugly, fortunate, unfortunate, in accordance with their karma. These beings who were endowed with bad conduct of body, speech and mind, who revolved the noble ones, held wrong views and undertook actions under the influence of wrong views, with the breakup of the body after death, have reappeared in the plane of deprivation, a bad destination, a lower realm, hell." But these beings who were endowed with good conduct of body, speech, and mind, who did not revile the noble ones, who held right views and undertook actions under the influence of right views, with the breakup of the body after death, have reappeared in a good destination, a heavenly world. Thus, by means of the divine eye, purified and surpassing the human eye, I saw beings passing away and reappearing. And they discern how they are inferior and superior, beautiful and ugly. In other words, you know, all the differences uh, in accordance with their karma. Uh, How we are all the infinite differences that we all have, even as humans, all has to do with the complexity of the different types of karma and when certain karmas are ripening and that complexity is what produces all the differences. And he saw that too. So not only he saw how karma worked out within himself, he saw also how karma worked out for others. This was the second knowledge I attained in the second watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed. Knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed. Light arose. As happens in one who is heedful, ardent, and resolute. Then... When the mind was thus concentrated, again, that whole list, I directed it to the knowledge of the ending of the affluence. I discerned, as it had come to be, that this is stress, that this is the origination of stress, dukkha, suffering, normally translated as suffering, stress. This is dukkha. This is the origination of dukkha. This is the cessation of dukkha. This is the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. These are effluents. This is the origination of effluents. This is the cessation. And this is the way leading to the cessation uh, of afflictive emotions, of pleasures. My heart, thus knowing, thus seeing, was released from the effluent of sensuality, released from the effluent of becoming, released from the effluent of ignorance, with release there was knowledge, Released, I discerned that. Birth is ended. The holy life fulfilled. The task done. There is nothing further for this world. There is nothing further for me to do in this world. This was the third knowledge I attained in the third watch of the night. Ignorance was destroyed. Knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed. I don't know what yeah. the word fluent
1: means. Professor? Outflowing.
0: Outflowing. Outflowing. Yeah, it's a technical Buddhist term. And outflowing means like, um, in, in the Buddhist technical term, other minds are constantly seeking external engagement. So much so that it's not actually even engaging the outside. It's engaging the projections that it projects onto the outside.
1: Fantasy.
0: Yeah. So it's outflowing. Yeah. So the outflow. The outflow of sensuality, the outflow of becoming, wanting to become not at rest constantly, and the outflow of ignorance or confusion. The Buddhas are called those with no outflows. <laughs> it's, it's related to kind of like the idea of that, that famous kind of definition of what is a human body. It's a body, it's a skin bag with nine holes and stuff are just flowing out continuously. <laughs> and most of life is about, you know, waste management. <laughs> don't what? I don't you don't want to hold it in and you don't want it blocked either um, but to no longer have any outflows not because you're holding them in <laughs> but no more flowing <laughs> dried up, finished yes so here we see you know like the earliest description of what being awake means involves these three things now if we could disagree with that i said no that's not what awakened means well then why even bother looking at buddhist sources (laughs) this is how it defines being awake So I don't know how you can justify, like, ah, yeah, no, those things are... No, it's not really what the Buddha really was interested in talking about. Everything was linked to that. Because, coming back to then the question of, what does the Buddha said is our existential problem? Our existential problem is the problem of dukkha. Of stress, translated here, suffering, and the first noble truth. That there is suffering, there is dukkha, there is stress. Right? Now, where does stress or suffering come from? Suffering is the result of in this case, right? Our actions that are unskillful is what produces dukkha. So if we don't want to experience dukkha, then we have to do something about our actions. That's about karma. <laughs> so then, general principles of how karma works are given. The, the things that we talked about. What constitutes karma? What makes karma stronger or weaker? How karma is mistaken. How we should not be. So there's a beautiful kind of uh, example given. He says that karma follows us like shadow. And specifically he says karma and our actions are like a bird and its shadow. When that bird is flying really high from the earth, It seems like the bird doesn't have a shadow. But the shadow is always there. As it comes down lower and lower and lower, and when it hits the ground, the shadow is right there. So this is Buddha's way of saying, don't don't kid yourself and think that karma uh, doesn't ripen. As well, he says, don't be discouraged in thinking that the good that you are able to do is not going to bear their fruits. Don't give up. Like that bird, it's a matter of how far. When it finally has to come down, the shadow is right there. And In terms of the shadow, exactly the shape of the body, the shape of the shadow. No discrepancy. One of the things that we talked about last week, which I should point out in case those of you who weren't here last week, is another thing about karma is it also says that Mm, don't think that, uh, one of the things that Buddha criticizes, it says that don't have that idea that exactly how that karma is created, then definitely that's how it is going to be experienced. He says that is only true if there are no mitigating factors. He says it could be, for example, he gave a few examples. the one that we, the explanation that we looked at last week was he says, a trifling act that is unskillful or evil. evil in Buddhist means productive of pain to someone else. So a trifling act of evil done by. Someone who is developed spiritually, has stability of mind, has contemplated their body, meaning understood the nature of their body. In other words, he says done, he actually says an, a, a trifling negative act done by a spiritually developed person would have a lesser result than a trifling, Negative act done by someone who is uncultivated. That's really interesting. We tend to think, you know, if someone is spiritually cultivated and they've done something negative, we are so outraged. (laughs) Yeah, you ought to know better, right? That's a whole different attitude. Here is actually saying no. Of course, you should know better too. That, that, that statement is based more like you are a model to other people, so you should know better. So in other places where Buddha talks about you know the qualities of a teacher, he will say the same thing. But the psychology behind of like, you know, is is to point out here that actually here Buddha is saying why he said that? Because it's it's it it makes sense because when, when you are generally stable and generally you have the right view, the right understanding of things. But when you make the wrong decision, the effect is not so strong because you have power to control it. As opposed to, it's sort of like saying someone who has real control... Right? if they slip and take one drink because they're alcoholic, but because they have trained so well, it has a little bit of a bearing on them. Huh? Maybe that person is, 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 is going to recovery meetings, right? in, this, in that sense, cultivated. One slip, there is that to protect this person as opposed to someone who, who, who doesn't even go to recovery or e- don't even think they have a problem. One slip, the consequences are grave. That's what this means. But you can also see how the Buddha is always emphasizing the positive side. You know, Don't give up. As long as you can cultivate your heart and make it better, No matter what negative, if it's already being done, there's nothing you can do about it except to be more prepared for when it ripens. So that's what he means by, it is not the case that when an action is produced, that it will be experienced exactly the same way. See, in other contexts, he would say that. And that is when he wants people to understand, right? Good produces good, bad produces bad. Harmful produces harm. Helpful produces helpful. That's when he said that. But in another place, that's when, along the lines of Bill, what you said is actually true. He's saying, that person who created that act here doesn't remain as the same person. As, and that person could get worse. <laughs> then the consequences become stronger. Or the person could have gotten better and the consequences would be a lot less. So it is said that the Buddha himself died of food poisoning. Dysentery was how, why he died. I mean, he was also very old at that point. So, so the, the, the actual cause of death was food poisoning. And the Buddha actually tells the story and said, this is because in the previous lifetime, as a negligent doctor... He prescribed the wrong medicine for a whole village and killed a whole village of people. But he said, if he had not achieved Buddha and that karma were to ripen, it will not just be food poisoning. It will be a terrible, terrible death. But because he's already Buddha, then it only uh, ripened as food poisoning for him. Yeah, so, so this point, you know, then 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 in that uh, then the analogy he gave is, uh, uh, he said. Uh, say you have a, a spoonful of salt, uh, and then you put it into a glass. Uh, is that water salty or not? And you know, he like, said, yeah, of course it's salty. He says now now say you have that same spoonful of salt, but you put it into a pond. Is the water in the pond going to be salty or not? No. Likewise, he says. So we might have created a lot of negative karma in past life, which nothing we can do about that. But we need to know that we have. What we can do now is make ourselves a pond, a lake, an ocean.
1: Yes? With what you're saying about someone who has a spiritual practice and a recovery program, mm-hmm. for example, is there a specific... Again, and that not having as much of a damaging effect on them from losing their sobriety as if mm-hmm. someone who had no training. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific?
0: Oh no, I was just kind of using an example. You know, but I'm in not thinking.
1: Like, like I go to the mm-hmm. recovery program oh, okay. here, and there are people who lose their sobriety, and they go through a lot of shame. Oh yes. And it's hard for them to keep on going right to get back up.
0: Right, right. So, so I think no, I guess my, my example was just, just trying to say how if you have cultivated your mind.
1: Yeah. Is that specifically in a text? That part what you're saying right If now? you have
0: cultivated your mind? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Last week's actually we'll get you the henna. Okay. Oh, you already sent yeah, in there. Okay. He gave the example. If you have cultivated I mean he's Buddha wasn't using a recovery example. Yeah. But about cultivating. Yeah. You know? I, w-
1: I want to share this. With yeah, you. yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, good. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah. you have cultivated, so you should not feel, you know. And of course, this is also the dynamics of the group, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I don't know anything about it. I, I would imagine, the more loving the group is, then the less likely someone's going to feel. Of course, of course, in the end, also people feel whatever they feel. You know? cannot be responsible, feel responsible for it, but I would imagine the more loving the group is, uh, then the more accepting, you know, people don't need to feel that, but, you know, again, it's complicated. But, yes, the Buddha said that, you know, like because, so, this is when I think it's helpful, you know, for beyond issues of addiction, like, those of us who are trying to be spiritual, that that kind of negative shame is not helpful the thing oh i should know better you know but rather to say i have the resources yes i slipped but that's not the whole picture the good news is i have the resources so the effect of this slip i should be able to pull myself up with the help of others right or the group or whatever much quicker And this is also related to, I think, us not wanting to be flaunting our spiritual or our religiousness. And so I remember I talked about this, you know, like when the election results first came out, you know, and many of us walking around like, you know, zombies and feeling miserable and and also feeling like, of course we have to feel this way. Right If we don't feel this way, there's something wrong, right? Then I had a friend that came to visit is not American you know, but Dharma practitioner, you know, so has some distance, you know, and she saw you know what was going on, and she said to me, she said, "You should remind them that they have taken refuge, and so when this kind of karma ripens, you should not." Wallow the same way that other people who don't have refuge are suffering. But you see, we don't talk about that because we don't want to flaunt, like, I'm spiritual, I'm impervious to this. Sure, yeah, I get that. But sometimes we forget, you know? Like, no. So this friend said, you know, we have refuge. You don't
1: have to do that
0: anymore. Yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. You have a choice now. Not that you don't understand other people's suffering, you do. But now you have the tools. Now apply the tools. And that's the meaning of having taken refuge. You have you have you have you have the whole set of tools now. Now is the time to apply that and make a difference in the same way. You know, when you have cultivated your mind. And part of the cultivation is about being scrupulous, being attentive to karma but it doesn't mean to be a victim of karma and to think of karma as such a judgment system that is going to get you no matter what no that's not what the Buddha taught Buddha taught about causes and effects and the complexity of causes and effects which we'll look at next so in the next page Uh, actually, look at identity and continuity first. A certain Brahmin asked, Now then, Master Gotama, is the one who acts the same one who experiences the results of the act? Then the Buddha, to say the one who acts is the same one who experiences, is one extreme. The Brahman, then Master Gotama, is the one who acts someone other than the one who experiences. The Buddha, to say the one who acts is someone other than the one who experiences, is the second extreme. Avoiding both of these extremes, the Tathagata, referring to himself, yeah, he sometimes talks in the third person. That teaches the Dharma by means of the middle. Yeah. Some are more qualified to speak that way than others. <laughs> <laughs> oh inescapable our oh karma.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here he says, from ignorance as a requisite condition as a requisite condition come fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition come the sixth sense media. All the way down to from clinging as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition, then aging, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. The next part is the reverse of that. Now from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From the cessation of fabrications comes the cessation of consciousness all the way unto such is the cessation of this entire mass of stress and suffering. Now, I know, you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, the the scripture doesn't have the Brahman going what? Yes. Apparently the Brahman got it. You know. <laughs> this is what we call the twelve interdependent links of origination, which is, in a nutshell, it's the Buddha's way of experiencing uh, genesis, but not in the. Sense of how the world came to be, but in our moment to moment experience of the world, how the world is constantly being produced. And the mechanism here, you know, uh, we are not going to go into the exact details of this, but the main point here is it's a chain of causes and effects because of this, then this, because of this, then this, because of this, then this. Now, note what what is really kind of pretty, seemingly kind of linear, right? Because of this, this, because of this, this, right? But here is, when you zoom into that picture, in every moment of that, there are all these possibilities. Right? So this could also lead to this, which then will 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 lead to this. So it's, So here, the fundamental question the Brahmin is asking is, is it the same or a different? Because that's all we are capable of thinking. It's either the same person that created the cause that will experience the effect, or a different person. So that's related to a very solid understanding of what the self is. But here Buddha says, those are not the only two options. Either is or isn't. They are the two extremes. So here is a question. The French Broad River. Is it the same river or a different river? Yesterday and today and tomorrow. (laughs) So not either or, right? To say that it is the same is obviously not true. Nothing actually on that river remains the same. Forget about yesterday and today, in any moment. At any point, the banks are being modified by the water that is flowing through. That is flowing through. No, No single drop of water remains. So to say that it is the same... It's one extreme. To say that it is different is to say, you know, yesterday you went to French Broad and today you're like, wait, where did the French Broad go? (laughs) That's obviously not the case, right? I mean, you could still tell your friend, hey, let's meet there at five. We're gonna go, you know, floating down this that river. So it's also not different. So what is it? It's a continuity. It's a process that is related. So when it comes to the question of, is it the same or a different person bearing the karma, there are aspects of it that it is the same, as in this is the same continuity. But to think of it as as same, as if, right, the person who made created this action remains unchanging for the next twenty years. That's not the case. I mean forget about different lifetimes, even within one lifetime, right? If as we look back at our actions, you know, it's like, yeah, I made that decision. And here I am retiring from this job now. Right? You made that decision. But it's not the same person that trained for this job and the person that retired from this job. The person who retired from this job, if it is unskillful and perhaps because overcome by suffering, might blame himself for having trained in this job at the end of a very unsatisfying retirement might blame himself. Oh, I should have. You know. At the same time, the, if you do the opposite, right, you know, to say that it's completely different, right, but that is also not true because it is you know, <laughs> a specific person that is retiring from this and not someone else. So the Buddha is trying... I would say, you know, one could take... And certainly, you know, Buddhists that came later, many of them took this to try to figure out, you know, exactly the mechanics of this. But I think the, the bigger lesson here is... Don't be so rigid about... Understand that this... This teaching about karma and how it is unmistaken is also given within a context where selfhood is understood as a process rather than structure. And that process is dynamic. And therefore karma is dynamic. And if we have a very static understanding of self, then this self has a lot of burdens to carry for all the regrets that we can regret about to no end. Again, when all of that happens, it deprives the possibility of acting now to make a difference. So a negative karma created in the past is ripening now right as it ripens now if you have the view that no nope, nothing can be done the way it is created is the way in which it will be experienced right then you are at the mercy of that moment but if you have the understanding that what was created the way it ripens is it will ripen in consonant with the one who is experiencing it now then the one who is experiencing now can change how this is experienced and it can change how this is experienced and that's part of that process of purifying the language that we sometimes use Purifying is not literally like getting rid of it, but it's reframing our experience of this that normally would be unpleasant and painful. But if we experience it as, ah, this is the result of actions created in the past, I need not blame anyone, including myself, Then, when, when that negative ripens, yeah, you still like have a cold or have a terrible cold, but you don't create further negative karma out of this. And then in the Mahayana training, we say, if you have the capacity to then say, let the pain that I'm experiencing now relieve other people of their pain, then this can actually turn into an occasion for the creation of positive karma so that you, you are completely purified and cut off. <coughs> because the, the, the pernicious nature of karma, and so that's why here we don't see karma as something created by a benevolent power of God to help us. Because actually the pernicious nature of, of karma is that like produces like. So when you experience pain, you tend to create more pain. Unless you do the opposite. Unless you do the opposite. So actually someone who is being tortured to death, you know, we, we say that's really terrible. But from a karma perspective, it's not only terrible that they're being tortured to death, But in those moments of torture, most likely what will happen is they will have intense hate at the torturer. And that has created more negative karma to ripen. Is it fair? No, it's not. And that's why karma is, in a way, a problem to be solved by being Buddha. But the good news of that too is that when it's happening, something negative, it can be stopped, purified. The bad news is when the good is happening, it can also be stopped. Sometimes due to good karma, right? something pleasant presents itself. But instead of experiencing the pleasant experience, and create more future good karma, we do the opposite. Which just seems to be more easy. Oh, I want this. I don't want others to have it. Then greed is cultivated. So this view of the person, uh, the Buddhist view of the person, is an important piece in That works together with karma and understanding of karma. You can see, I would say, how the Buddhist view of, of the individual as a process, like self is always self making, right? It's constantly making itself as a process. If that teaching, right, gets divorced from karma and the emphasis on paying attention to karma because each of us are heirs, the Buddha said this, to our own karma. Right? We, we only, we inherit the karma that we have created. Your karma cannot be given to your uh, children. And you cannot get your parents' karma. Because there were religious traditions in India that believed that. But here, no, it says. We are heirs of our own karma. Now, if the teaching about you know, the self being a process that is not exactly the same person is let loose <laughs> without the teaching on karma, that could lead to problems. It right? doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. All that you know in the future is not me. Yes? Um,
1: perhaps this is an imponderable.
0: Subject, <laughs> but it all depends on whether it will make you crazy or not. Okay, so. it kind of is. But in the
1: instance to say that you are not um, an heir to your parents' karma, Mm -hmm. but to imagine that their karma affects yours, let's say, for example, like how does that relationship work?
0: Easy. That's a ponderable. Okay. (laughs) Your particular karma and their particular karma is meeting together. So it's not the case that, you know, the good that they have carried That they have done comes to you. Conventionally, you could say that, you know, we say, you know, you're born in such and such a family with such and such a neighborhood and all of that. But we would say that it's your similar karmas that have brought you together. But nonetheless, the moral, skillful, moral actions, unskillful, we individually are still. Then, you know, we can say, well, the DNA and all of that, we say, well, that's also just the how, not the why. Those are the, you know, the elements that come in play. So, like, when negative karma manifests, it manifests according to the laws of nature. It doesn't work outside of the laws of nature. So, genetic, you know, all of that. And, And also you know what what's we understand from sociology and psychology all those rules operate don't think that that is like counter karma i i think one of the problems was, right these uh you know science denials right the religious they, they think that you know either god or <laughs> it's like confusing the how question and the why question and insisting that you know it's one or the other but here, I think Buddhism is like, oh, no, yeah, the how, yeah, you all can go figure it out. But that only talks about the why. What,
1: what about societal culture, like we are experiencing now, mm-hmm. societal karma?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it I can, collective karma. Collective karma. Yeah.
1: Uh, I can see the 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 micro in that mm-hmm. and how you relate to what happens makes a difference to you and to mm-hmm. the people you're interacting mm-hmm. with. But but what I mean what might have caused this mess? <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the imponderables. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it would be so nice to know. Well,
0: well the the prop the I think we can talk a lot about the how. Oh, that's quite clear. Yeah. What got us here? The how.
1: Well, I could go back to at right. least two thousand and eight, yeah. and the response yeah. Is yeah. So clear. the how,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So how we can talk about that's not an imponderable. As for a karma question, right? Uh, the general principles we can talk about, but we don't know. Whether it was the case that all of us were in a previous lifetime together creating this or that our different ways of creating different karmas have pulled us all together into being in this situation. That's unclear. Collective karma isn't just a case that collectively we created there and collectively we experience here. Because if that was the case, you'll never meet anyone new. (laughs) And that can't be the case. But again, yeah, I have Buddhists who talk like that. Like, oh, you know, collective karma. Then it's like, you know, forever there's just those seven characters.
1: <laughs> 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 yes? Yes? Um, would it be safe to say that uh, if we had all become Buddhists, then this mess wouldn't exist, so we could at least say that the problem is that we're not Buddhists?
0: No. Clearly, you're not born in a Buddhist culture. (laughs) Let me disabuse you of that notion.
1: You know, you used to read
0: our book. Right. (laughs) No. No,
1: I said
0: Buddhas. Buddhas. Oh, yeah, right. If we are Buddhas, yeah, of course, this problem won't exist. Oh, I thought you said Buddhists. Oh, okay. Good. That's another one of my bumper stickers, right? Remember? Yeah? Only Buddhists, not Buddhas. <laughs>
1: Disclaimer.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. my that's my Buddhist version of uh, a bumper sticker that I've actually seen, that says only only forgiven, not perfect. Yeah, the Christian one. Yeah, only forgiven, not perfect. So the Buddhist equivalent of that is only Buddhist, not Buddha.
1: Oh, now I get it. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Yes. Still not Buddha. (laughs) So I will give you the finger (laughs) if you cut me off. (laughs) And I'll regret later. (laughs) Yeah, if you think about it, you know that original, and and if we made one, it's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> it's like a license to misbehave. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, you know, this, 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 this understanding of, no. So let me talk about. Uh, let me kind of propose this for you to think about. Um, so when when you have this understanding of, kind of, even not like a profound understanding, but intellectually kind of get, you know, that the way we think of ourselves, of who we are, is too limiting and does not match the reality. Yeah? And that, but somehow there's this innate sense that I've always been me, you know. The Buddha actually questions that, you know. Right? This innate sense that I've always been me. I, 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 have always remembered, you know, me as me. Buddha actually questions that. So before you you immediately answer, because I would say if you immediately answer, say, yeah, of course, I've always been me, precisely. Buddha said that's the problem. You know, you, you should really look into and see. You know, like, is this just? a stubborn belief that we want to hold on to until some really traumatic or tragic thing happens and then we have to come face to face with the fact that that's not the case. That's when we go, I don't know what happened, that wasn't me. Well, it's never really been you because it's constantly, right? So Buddha said, you know, that the way we think of ourselves is very limiting and also does not coincide with hmm, how it actually is. And so it's a positive side, there's a negative side. The positive side is our view of who we are is too limiting. And we always box ourselves in and say, here it is, this is how I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah
1: those moments of when we throw up our hands and go that isn't me mm-hmm. what, would, what can we do in that moment to, 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 it's like that's an opportunity yeah sure to switch yeah.
0: into what <laughs> you know, it's like oh then you need to be Buddha
1: you know you, know, <laughs> so <if> you
0: only <laughs> you need to be Buddha right so wait uh, let me finish the thought before yeah, I forget sure. so, so this right so this we, we need to We need to investigate more. The way Buddha described, you know. Like, what is this thing that we call self? So that's one thing. Then within that context, Mm. mm, we also accept karma. So, one of the things that happens, that can happen, is that when something really unpleasant happens to us. I mean, there are many aspects to how that needs to be managed. But the part where our training in these teachings can help is to first of all say, this is the ripening of past karma. So I don't need to hate this. I don't need to deny this. I don't need to Impatiently, just want to run away from it, but that the karma that was, you know, of experiencing this has been created. And as long as the causes and conditions are there, that reality manifests. But that reality that manifests is a temporary reality. That's what we tend to forget, that it's a temporary reality. And in fact, we have lived through many of these realities and we'll live through this reality too. And then remain present for it. But without judging yourself and being unkind to yourself. That I should be this, I should be that, I should be this, I should be that. I should have acted this, I should have acted that. That's just ignoring the reality of what's going on. What's going on is that we are suffering. Yeah? But then the we that is suffering is we should not also be so limited by it. and always remember. You know, we, can, we can do something about this suffering without running away from it, without denying it. Accepting that this is. And and then if we can take a step further to say, back to that point about the pain that I'm experiencing, may it relieve others of their pain. The Mahayana Mind Training, which is the next series that we're going to do you know, in February. Um, the Donglen Meditation in Lojong. We're going to start that series. Uh, this Mahayana Mind Training, you know, if we actively feel like, really, you know, like this, this unskillful act that was created in the past has, create, has resulted in this karma, even though the person who created it is not the person who is experiencing it in that one to one scene, as in, I'm a continuity coming from there, so I'm inheriting that. But because I'm not really the person, literally, that created it, that is experiencing it now, I don't need to experience it exactly the way it was created, you see? And you don't need to beat yourself over it. You're a bad, bad, bad person, and therefore you deserve this. Yeah. Nothing about karma, if you understand, is about deserving or not deserving. Unfortunately, the way we carelessly use the term karma, we instantly bring in, even if not with words, our minds, our hearts instantly think about you deserved it or you don't deserve it. (coughs) There's nothing to do with that. So when we look at it this way, hmm, an example I gave uh, before, there's a friend who was having a bad cold, something very simple. And, um, he lived with this old monk and uh, the monk said and, and was asking him how, how is the cold and he said oh really bad And then he said something like uh, well I guess I'm you know, purifying my negative karma and the monk said to him no you're not he says right now it's just negative karma ripening you don't purify it unless you Actively think differently, because he said, right now, as a negative karma is ripening, you are likely to create more negative karma if you snap at people because you're not in a good mood, if you return kindness yeah, with you know nastiness yeah. so and he says, now, if you just simply said, if, and if you don't do any of that, then the, the furthest you're doing is just letting this karma ripen, and then that's it. But you're only purifying it if you have the ability to recognize this is the result of a past cause that was unskillful, and that I should be more skillful with my actions and then he says you really create a good out of this if you have the capacity to feel may my suffering of this relieve others of their suffering now the monk also says you can't literally do that take other people's karma because that's quite clear you can't take other people's karma but, but you, you train your heart with the willingness to do that and that changes <coughs> that changes things
1: are, are there ways um, that taking actual actions um, to help other people mm-hmm. struggling with things that you're struggling with yeah, that that's, even thing? yeah so, that's even better
0: yeah that's even better to the, not just the willingness of the heart, but you actually engage in helping others.
1: Is that engagement actually a purification then of that existing?
0: If you, person? if you, you know, kind of with intention do it that way. Mm-hmm. So intention is important.
1: Even if it's not
0: accepted.
1: Hmm? Even if it's not accepted by that person oh
0: well we've got to be skillful about how we help other people <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah you know, otherwise
1: depends
0: on what's there.
1: Uh, what depends on the capacity of the yeah of course yeah that all try I'm try saying
0: that, I mean there's five bazillion, bazillion you know mitigating circumstances but underlying, underlying point is we need to be skillful just because we want to help
1: no
0: Okay. I mean, so many people want to help to teach English in India or Tibetan monasteries but not helpful. You come and go you know. <laughs> Two months, three months, you disrupt people's lives. <laughs> so skillfulness is important. Finally, this one. Why did he teach rebirth? I already mentioned this. So we'll just read this real quick. Now there is the case where a certain person is seen garlanded and adorned, freshly bathed and groomed, with hair and beard trimmed, enjoying the sensualities of women as if he were a king. They ask about him, My good man, what has this man done that he has been garlanded and adorned as if he were a king? They answer, My good man, this man attacked the king's enemy and took his life. The king, gratified with him, rewarded him. This is why he is garlanded and adorned as if he were a king. Then there is the case where a certain person is seen bound with a stout rope, with his arm pinned tightly against his back, his head shaved, bald, so on and so forth. They ask about him, My good man, what has this man done that he is bound with a stout rope and beheaded to the south of the city? They answer, My good man, this man, an enemy of the king, has taken the life of a man or a woman. This is why the rulers, having had him seized, inflicted such a punishment upon him. Then the Buddha cites similar cases where people are rewarded for stealing, engaging in illicit sex, and lying, so on and so forth. Now, what do you think, headman? Have you ever seen or heard of such a case? I have seen this, Lord, have heard of it, and will hear of it again in the future. So, headman, when these contemplatives and Brahmins who hold a doctrine or view like this say, all those who kill living beings experience pain and distress in the here and now. Do they speak truthfully or falsely? Falsely, Lord. Or mistakenly. So here he's addressing those who say, you, know, you only need to limit karma to just this life. And he says, well, here you run into this problem. Because clearly, if you look around, there's a lot of people that are being rewarded for very bad behavior. And a lot of people seemingly are uh, being punished for good behavior. And so he says, you cannot limit it, you know, have such a limited view. Mm, not so much related to karma. My my kind of something that sometimes I've emphasized, you know, why it's also skillful uh, to to entertain at least, if not li- literally believe, but to entertain or to contextualize your practice of meditation, your practice of, you know, working with your inner life. To place that project within the context of many lifetimes is basically to give yourself more space. Because doing this inner work can get very tight and very claustrophobic very quickly. And if you limit it to only the here and now, it will make you crazy. It will become way, way more intense. That in all Buddhist traditions, generally all Buddhist cultures, accept or operate, you know, from, from kid, you know. They operate within this idea that there are multiple lifetimes. So all the Buddhist texts that talks about how you have to do it now, you have to do it now, you have to do it now, that language is generated within a context and a culture where everybody understands that it's this wide. Now those of us here that limit everything to here, and then we just indiscriminately take that language of urgency, now, 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 practice as if your hair is on fire that you need to put it out uh, that urgency, plus the type A that most Americans are, it will just create uh, a lot, a very tight very quickly yeah
1: on that topic I have read a lot from a certain teacher Mm -hmm. about preparing for the bardo Mm -hmm. and uh and watching my father-in-law die, it did, I did get this sudden, urgent feeling, like, oh my God, I've got, got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Is there something to that, though, that we, we realize? I guess that's more just uh, right now in this lifetime. And Anyway, I'm just curious about
0: Yeah, of course. Happened. Urgency is good, but, you know, certainly in Buddhist tr- cultures, they talk about the urgency. But all I'm saying is that the urgency is always within the background of multiple lifetimes. Uh, Likewise, if I was teaching in Asia, I'd be saying to them, don't keep thinking multiple lifetimes. How are you going to ensure that you have the conditions to practice Dharma in the next lifetime?
1: And that's what the preparing is.
0: Mm -hmm. A word about the bardo is, uh, don't learn too much about it. Yeah, I was teaching it too I'm having some other thoughts now and I'm appreciating why in a traditional context they say these teachings are not given willy-nilly uh, because a lot of the teachings about all the precise details of what happens now has become public knowledge at least Is publicly available? You know, whether buying the book or going to the right website, or for that matter, listening to me talk about it on I'm having some thoughts about is that helpful or not? Might not be helpful.
1: Can it be still be helpful to prepare but not try to figure out what it is? In other words. to feel the urgency of doing
0: depending the, on what you know, kind of preparation i
1: mean i mean the path i mean uh,
0: let's put it I, this way uh, the details that we've been
1: navigating the virtues as quickly as possible
0: oh yeah well practicing that's what I mean. mind training practicing what we talk about yes
1: like if it puts a fire under your body yes but the
0: details about bardo about dissolution all of that
1: yeah i do uh
0: I don't think. It's not not like helpful. the whole if I do
1: this will I get that? I no no not, one even, one, that, it, not just, even that. Not even that.
0: Just just No, not even that. I'm not talking about I'm talking about the details on dissolution.
1: You mean, mean dissolution I mean, of the elements?
0: Yes. When this happens this, then there's this sign, that sign.
1: Why could that be unhelpful?
0: Because our mind is not stable enough to recognize any of that. And then, when it happens, we will panic even further.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's why those teachings were only given to people who have sufficiently prepared their minds. Now we are given the information, and we have no capacity to handle that information. I think it creates even more anxiety.
1: Like smartphones and children.
0: <laughs> Actually, they do better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> All the information Look, that- you know, it's like. That's the mistake of thinking. The more information we have, the more knowledge we have, the better. But I'm seeing we don't have the capacity. So it's much better, I'm feeling now, for general people who are going through that transition. What you need to do is to remind them and assure them things will be fine. Things will be fine. Even if this is someone who you feel has lived a very bad life, That is not the time to say negative karma is gonna come. Because you want to give them the best possible transition. So you don't give all those details about what's gonna you just keep reassuring. Everything will be fine. Now it's different if they are Dharma practitioner and they're very you know, their minds are clear, then they should be given then they should be read actually. The Tibetan Book of the Dead. And now you will see this, and now you'll see that. Imagine someone who has no control of their minds, and also no exposure to this, and suddenly someone is reading to them.
1: <laughs>
0: now you'll see this, they're like what? <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm, I'm really having more and more doubts about this is not about whether the information is right or wrong. This is about skillful or not. So it's all about developing skill. Right? And I think, oh, better not just general. You know? And then, of course, you know, here people with different faiths, different traditions, with faith, without faith. For uh, those of us who are helping, we need to see how we can be most helpful. And then important too is you know intention, motivation. But also good to pay attention to skills. <laughs> yes.
1: So it seems that as one traverses the path, that this recognition of what you were talking about—the sense of self, the sense of personal identity—there mm-hmm. needs to be skir- skillful activity around allowing that to softly dissolve, yes. so that there's not this powerful sense of I, you, yes. to drive this process.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Particularly, you know, in this culture. Sense of self is a little bit less unitary, rigid in many other cultures. I mean as simple as you know we, we talk about this, May and I, you know, how in the Chinese culture. Our names aren't used that often? Our names relative to here? Um, and that makes a difference, you know, how people refer to us. I think, you know, in a very subtle but very, very uh, kind of effective way. I think. Now, I'm not saying, at least me, you know, she's selfless, but me, you know, <laughs> I'm still very selfish, you know, even though. But it's just configured differently, you know. Like for us uh, within the family. Um, Different people call, call, get my attention by calling me with different things. There's an exact term. Uh, there's a YouTube of these two Chinese Americans mapping out the whole family. It's unbelievable. Down to like, you know, when someone calls me, say, with a certain term, they will know that in relation to that person, I am... Their father's, brother's, mm-hmm. wives' younger brother. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or I could be their mother's, mother's, sons, grandsons, granddaughters, husband. <laughs> There's a term for that. (laughs) But all of that is disappearing as well now. Like my nephew's generation, everything is auntie and uncle. All older males and females are auntie and uncles. Then all younger is all just calling by name. So that's all gone. (laughs) But otherwise, up until our generation, it's still there. (laughs) Anyway. So, karma, this is just an introduction to karma. Uh, There are other, like, more, uh, kind of, like, four ways in which this, three ways in which that. And that kind of precision, you know, is only useful if we first have this understanding of the dynamic nature of karma. And then the next step to be introduced to, if one wants to engage in specific practices to purify karma. What should we do? Then the more specific is given so that that more specific information is embedded within a much more fluid and dynamic understanding of the subject. Which is again, not often there. We learn it like upside down, here, there, and everywhere. Then into like the ten kind of virtuous actions, non virtuous actions. Again, superficially that list looks like the list that you find in other traditions. But what informs how you act with that what you do with that list can be very different. So hopefully, you know, this introduction gives kind of a kind of a bigger picture of what karma is, then later you know, we'll have opportunity to focus more on you know more specific, you know, what makes karma weighty? uh, How can we change the way karma manifests? How do we purify? All of that.
1: So when can we start?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see what karma brings
1: us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not, you say? No, karma is about making. It's about action, right? So we have to create the action for.
1: Everybody work
0: on that. So yeah, I, I think you know, like I said, because we wanted to do the the mind training lojong and the tonglen first, so that will be the next series. Then after that, you know, we could do the purification in terms of karma and all that as the next. So that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, Of course, you can just come randomly. Hopefully, that's even helpful. But if you have the inclination and the time and the ability, um, there is some method to the madness here. Uh, But it takes time. (laughs) 30 years. (laughs) 30 years. That, right? mm-hmm.
1: We have lots of that.
0: We have all these lifetimes. Oh, yeah. 30 years. No problem. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for coming. Now, normally and often and even now, we should do dedication, but without necessarily always need to repeat or chant. Uh, to dedicate our merit is the idea that... Um, karma. You know, we create karma. So we have created mostly, I hope, virtuous karma by being here the last few hours. So then this karma, the effect of this karma, uh, dedicate or not, it will always come back to us, as we know. But we could also safeguard this virtuous karma by putting it in a Lock box. No, that's an old joke. <laughs> uh, we can bank it in the Buddha bank. And the Buddha bank is the bank that is dedicated to the happiness of all. And so if we think, uh, whatever good that comes from this, uh, I bank it in the Buddha bank so that this is for the good of all. Then that's dedication. Mm. And tomorrow, for those of you who have the Vasudhara practice, uh, we have the monthly Vasudhara practice. 2.30 to 430 tomorrow. 230 to 430. It will be the third and the fourth section of the Vasudhara practice. The inner the secret and the innermost secret. Yes. Secret. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmainc.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.